Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoors, the official podcast of Living the Dream Outdoor Properties. We live by the motto, it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. And we live the outdoor lifestyle every day. Whether you're a landowner or dreaming of joining the ranks of those closest to the earth, we're your brothers and sisters of the outdoors. We hunt, we fish, we're stewards of the land, and our Living the Dream team will show you the way to enjoying the land and all the outdoor pursuits it has to offer. Here's your host, Bill Cooper. Welcome to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast. I'm your host, Bill Cooper. And I'm your co-host, Hunter Heinemann. Hey, Hunter, we got, I think, a special deal this week. Yes, we do. <laughs> At least a trip, a trip that you and I both, I think, are jealous Yes. About we have on the line Tanner Brennicky. Brennicky Hardware, that's out of Columbia, Missouri? On Bridgeton. On Bridgeton. Bridgeton, Missouri, up by St. Louis. Yep. Well, there's more than one of them then. I don't think so. (laughs) (laughs) How long has that been there, Tanner? How long has your family been uh, running that business? It's been there since 1857. So, that uh, is a while, man. Did you say 1857? 1857. So it was one of the last stops on the Oregon Trail before they went into St. Charles, um, that area. So they would they would come get all their goods and uh, whether whether it was meat, supplies, anything, and then uh, head over over the river. Well, I would be interesting. That this might give you something to to research. But uh, I used to be superintendent of Merrimack Spring Park uh, out of St. James, Missouri, and that was the site of the first successful. Uh, ironworks west of mississippi and they made all kinds of things cannonballs and plowshares and wagon wheel rims and pots and pans and it and they shipped a lot of that stuff down the rivers the merrimack and the gasconade and uh, missouri it'd be interesting to know if brennicky hardware might have sold some of those wares that were made at merrimack ironworks that's your new research project <laughs> that would be a good one it would not surprise me if they did yeah, it wasn't me either because they scattered that stuff all over the all over the country, and a lot of it went west, you know, with the pioneers. So, hey, maybe they picked up their pots and pans and wagon wheels and cannonballs at your place there. Yeah, <laughs> that would be that would be interesting. That'd be a good thing to research. Really would. Well, man, we want to hear the story about uh, your your trip to Africa, and I, I've never been to Africa, so I don't really even know what the stories to or what questions to ask, uh, uh, because uh, Africa is just an intriguing place. I've read a lot about it. You know, some of the great uh, writers that used to write about Africa. I know Teddy Roosevelt had some wild times over there. But uh, anyway, we want to hear all about it. Yeah, uh, Tanner, can you kind of, kind of the reason we want to bring you on the show is is I thought of you, and, and uh, my dad's getting ready to go on a trip to Africa, too. Uh, I think right outside of Johannesburg, um, and I think you went with the same outfit, but I was going to kind of get uh, your take on things um, on your trip to Africa and just ask you a couple questions. Can you kind of talk a little bit about their way of life over there um, and, and kind of how the whole experience was, uh, maybe food or just, just anything that you thought was interesting and why um, having guys like you come over and hunt is, is a big deal to them yeah so the whole experience i mean it was it was a humbling and just amazing experience in the very southern part of south africa mm-hmm. and um then we we took a um took a truck up 
north, it was about six, about six hours drive. And um, it was North Pole of Kiwani. It's kind of the, the bigger city in that, that place. Um, and so, you know, get in there, you know, our, our experience was, was amazing. I mean, the accommodations were, were very nice. We all kind of had our own kind of thatched roof, um, kind of cabin. And I mean, between the people, I mean, great people that ran, it was Sabo Memorial Safari. Okay. And, uh, just, just a family, family deal. And, uh, it, the whole, whole thing, I mean, from, from getting there, the, the food we ate, we basically ate everything that we killed for the okay. most part. Cool. So, and does a lot of the, the meat that you guys harvest on the animals that you shot, um, do a lot of the, the people there, do they, does it just get donated? Yeah. So a lot of it got donated to, uh, kind of the villages and the, the trackers because so each one of us had, we had a professional hunter and then we had two trackers. So the trackers kind of lived in their own kind of, in a sense, you would say like almost like an off-campus housing would be kind of the way I would put it. And so it was kind of just kind of a shack, really. And that is what they ate. I mean, intestines, everything that was, that was just their, their way of living. Well, I got, I got to ask you, you're you're talking about, uh, you ate some of the animals and some you didn't and talk about the locals eating, you know, everything that doesn't squeal, I guess I've, I've heard people talk about that when they slaughter pigs here in the Ozarks, you know, but, uh, what meats do they prefer the locals? What else? Kudu was probably, probably the number one. Um, it's just a very, very tender meat. Um, wildebeest was another one that was just, I mean, amazing. They, uh, they said giraffe was another one that the locals really preferred. We didn't, we didn't eat giraffe while we were over there, but apparently that was one that is a very, very good meat for them and they love it. Huh? So when you were over there, this might be a funny question. What did you, <laughs> what did you intentionally go to shoot? What was on your target list? And then, uh, what did you actually bring back home? <laughs> so, so it was actually, we were over there a year ago from today. Uh, so well happy anniversary when, when we yeah if you look at the pictures i'm like man that seems like a long long time ago but but no so when we went over there so we did a plants game hunt um which at that time it was you know a, a wilderbeast um kudu gims buck uh steen buck uh impala just some of the more basic ones and so went over there with that intention of you know kind of going through the list and shooting what we had on the list. But when we got there, they had a really, they were going into their kind of, kind of winter season. It was really rainy and the, the brush was really thick. So it was kind of, when we got there, it was like, okay, if we see a, see an animal that, that, you know, we, we could in a, in a sense sub out for a different one, we, we need to take it because it's going to be really hard hunting. Um, so, so, I mean, some of the ones we, I ended up shooting a giraffe, a zebra, a wildebeest. Gims um, buck was probably the number one that I wanted to shoot because you know, growing up, I'd always see the pictures of them mm-hmm. and thought it was just such a such a pretty animal. And uh, I had the opportunity to shoot one of those, and that was a, a hard hard hunt, <laughs> but just a very cool. Are they just really really smart and good at seeing, good at smelling, or what? 
Yeah, I was really good at seeing, um, and that that was the biggest thing. I mean, you think they're trying to get away from predators, just for example, like a leopard. I mean, that could take them down at any point. Right. So, so I mean, there would be times where basically we would drive around till we found a track, and then we would just start start walking on that track. The first day I think we were there, I I walked 13 miles oh, going wow. after different animals and. That, that was the day that I, I shot a giraffe, and that was it. And it was just, I mean, you walk and you walk, and these trackers are just going through rocks, didn't matter what it was, and they were able to track, which was just incredible. Huh. That well, that sounds cool. like quite a, a adventure. You know, I read T- Teddy Roosevelt, Robert Ruark, and some of the great adventures they had uh, in Africa. Of course, those guys, a lot of the time, were going after the really big you know, dangerous game, elephants, rhinos, and, and that sort of thing. But even... The Plains game was so appealing. What caliber rifles did you guys use? So we uh, we took our own guns over there. We took we all had a six five PRC and a three seventy five H and H. That's rather uh, large. We, <laughs> yeah. It, so when we got there, and you know, we were talking to uh, talking to them about what animals we were or what guns we brought. They go, you know what? Just use that 375 H&H. Really? Because that, no matter what, you know, when you're shooting through a brush or anything like that, you're not going to have to worry about, you know, just a, a smaller bullet or anything. Well, that's pretty interesting because we think of planes game, you know, as being sometimes, I know there are some large planes animals over there, but there's some pretty small ones too. But uh, you're talking about the big calibers like that. Yeah, that makes sense. And that's, that's the kind of thing us people back home, you know, don't, don't think about. I mean, here we'll use a thirty thirty to shoot through the brush at a, at a deer, you know, because it's a slower caliber and doesn't uh, the bullet doesn't deflect as easily as some of the faster flat shooting uh, rifles. So that's interesting that you would use a three seventy five H and H. I always thought of those in terms back in the day, you know, I know there's bigger guns now, but back in the day around the turn of the century when lots of Americans were going uh to Africa, a lot of them were using the three seventy fives. But I gotta gotta ask you, you know, that that had to be a trip of a lifetime. Uh, did you do any personal research before you went over? You, you know about people who had hunted there before, and how they went about it, and uh, and just so you'd kind of have a historical background in the back of your mind while while you were out hunting. I, I mean, you didn't read any stories about guys getting eaten by tigers and all that sort of thing. Did you? <laughs> yeah, didn't look too much into that. Kind of, kind of just went for. One of uh one of our good friends and and yeah. hunter Daryl's good friends uh, Jim Zara he's gone with this outfit quite a few times so you know I, I you know had a couple meetings with uh, Jim and he was kind of give me a little background on it on how the whole operation works and everything and so doing that and then you know kind of getting the bullets ready and the guns ready and making sure they're all all dead on for for us to go so it was. Kind of had some yeah background on it. When you were using that rifle, did you uh, you had a scope on that, right? Yeah. Okay. And what were your uh, what what did they have like want you to be prepared for as as far as like an average shot distance? So kind of everything time like she um, everything was basically two hundred yards in it. I think I think the farthest shot I had was maybe one hundred eighty yards. Gotcha. And when when you're doing it, I mean, when, 
and you finally get a shot, they put sticks up and the best way uh, one of our professional hunters told us was you have three seconds. I put the sticks up three seconds to shoot or that animal's gone. So we had to be kind of, you know, stay calm and get a good shot on them. Yeah. That's cool. Well, did you practice at home quite a bit before going over? I mean, three seconds is not a long time, but if the stick's already up and you can settle in, uh, you just hope the animal's big enough you can find him in the scope pretty quick and I assume get behind his shoulder. Is that where most of the shots went? Yeah, it was It was kind of strange when we got there. You know, we were talking about shot placement. I go, you know, you know, I hunt one-tail deer quite a bit. So it was always, you know, you shoot behind the front shoulder. This was more shooting directly at that front shoulder because um, their their hearts actually moved a little forward on a lot of these African animals. So they said, go right for the front shoulder. If you, you know, blow the front shoulder out and, and hit their heart, that's going to be ideal. Right, right. Well, also in the process, I, I'm sure that's rough country, and they probably didn't want to do it. A lot of tracking. long tracking jobs, yeah. So that, yeah, yeah, getting that shoulder and help break the animal down, plus getting into the heart. So, uh, sound like a good plan. How long were you there for? Uh, we were there for a week. One week. A week at the camp, and then um, it was about roughly a day to get there and a day back. Yeah, and you you went with your dad, I know, right? Yeah, my dad and brother. Okay, that's yeah, that's I remember so what you told me. Great. It was a pretty fun. Yeah, great family, great family trip. Well, I got to ask you, you know, we talked about you eating the animals and everything, uh, uh, and I assume the locals prepared, uh, were they the cooks, local cooks? Yeah, so um, they they had the locals that basically cook, and so they made them, I mean, for lunch, dinner, everything. It it was all, it seemed like a five-star meal, Uh you know, with these, you know, with wildebeest and kudu and, and impala. Well, what was what was the most common recipe, so to speak? I mean, are they like us Americans? They fry everything, or they make stews, or they have some other pretty unique uh, cooking methods? The kudu, you know, it was just like a cute or a deer backstrap in a sense, or it was just grilled and it was ah. cooked to perfection. Sounds pretty good. <laughs> yeah, it was, it was very good. Do you uh, do you plan on going back? Yeah, I, I would love to go back for whether it's a, a Cape Buffalo or um, one of the bigger bigger species over there. I think that would be a real cool, yep. cool thing. Yep, that's um, what uh, my dad's kind of doing it backwards, I think, uh, <laughs> as most people do it. He's going to go for a Cape Buffalo and uh, elephant, and he's bringing his uh, 500 nitro. So he's been... Wow. Practicing with that a double barrel. Has he got any shoulders left? Yeah, that would be hard. I don't think so. Oh. Yeah, that would be hard to practice with. Yeah, yeah. I think you would get gun shy after the well, recoil gonna, on that thing a few yeah, times. I was going to tell Tanner if uh, I know he shot a lot of uh, cool African game and stuff, and you were talking about. I know how you shoot a shotgun out at the duck club. I was going to say, if it's anything like that, they didn't have a chance because this guy can flat out poke a duck up at 65 yards straight up in the air. So. Oh, my. That's, that's a hard shot, too, straight yeah. straight up, you know. Yeah. But, gosh, what what exciting stuff, though. Uh, Tanner, what, what kind of advice would you give to people that, if, hey, they're planning their first trip, 
uh, you know, it's out of country and uh, way far away from home and in a country that, you know, hey, we kind of raise our eyebrows about once in a while. Uh, what kind of advice would you give to them for preparation purposes, getting ready to go? I, I think the biggest thing is just being, I mean, 100% comfortable with your gun. I mean, we were hearing stories from, you know, some people that go over there and, you know, they shoot the gun for the first time or, or anything like that and where they're, they're just not ready. And so, like, for me, I mean, I can't tell you how many times I went to the range for an hour yeah, standing right. up or just practice different things where you're very comfortable with it. So at, at any point when that trophy animal is there, you make the, make the shot count. Now, when you were over there, did, uh, did you, did you, um, pretty much just bring American dollars or did you, um, convert your money? Uh, we just, we just brought American dollars gotcha. and, uh, like, you know, when we were at the airport and anything like that, it, we just used our credit card and they, they transfer it. Right. So it was a very simple, oh, that's good simple transaction. Yeah. Well, we've been in some situations where <laughs> it's it's not not quite that easy, you know. Yeah. But uh, that that is great. Well, what about what's your take, uh, Tanner, on the importance of the American dollar to that local economy? I, I think it was huge. It, it just seems like you know, our our American dollar goes a lot further than their RAM is their currency. Yeah, I'm I'm sure it is, and I, I think I'm safe in saying that probably there's lots of uh, game animals in Africa that would already have been extinct had it not been for the American hunter. I know uh, I've gone to Mexico quite a bit and the Yucatan, and the same situation down there. A lot of the tourism industry, the hunting and fishing industry are driven by the American dollar. I, I know we catch some criticism, you know, us, us crazy Wild West John Wayne Americans, you know, we do some crazy stuff. But uh, one of the things we do, we do support uh, a lot of world economies, particularly when it comes to tourism, outdoor recreation, hunting and fishing. So it sounds like that you guys certainly did your job in spending money in Africa. So, hey, I congratulate you on that, and it's a great conservation effort. And, hey, for all those folks that don't uh, believe in hunting, uh, Africa is a prime example of what uh, uh, conservation and uh, dollars can do for wild game populations. And thing is, when you spend money on those wild animals and help, you know, preserve areas to hunt, you're helping a lot of other species as well. Well, Tanner, man, it's been great to have you on the program. Uh, you need to write a book now, I think, about that Af <laughs> African experience. And yeah. we'll, we'll see how it compares to Teddy Roosevelt. He could probably just write a, yeah. a couple yeah. books about us being in the, the duck blind. <laughs> <laughs> no, there's there's some stories to share there. Yeah, I I, li I listen to these guys and I tell them, I, yeah, I like to be a fly on the wall sometimes in these living the dream hunts. You know, these these guys travel a lot and have a good time, but they deserve it. They work hard, do a great job. All right, Tanner, thanks for uh, joining us today, and we had a good time. I'm I'm your uh, co-host, Hunter Hindman. Hey, Bill Cooper here, Tanner. I hope you uh, uh, won't be a stranger, man. We. Hurry up and go back to Africa so we can get some more stories. Hey, folks, st stay with us here. We're going to be right back in just a few minutes with segment number two. Slow down and enjoy the simple things in life. Welcome to Huzal Valley Resort, providing family fun since 1979. They offer floating and 
you can choose from canoes, rafts, kayaks, and inner tubes on the beautiful, crystal clear Huzal River. Lodging, let us be your home away from home. Choose from a variety of lodging units while still enjoying the great outdoors. With over two and a half miles of river camping on the crystal clear Huzal, we're sure you and your family will find the perfect spot to pitch your tent or park your RV. Have fun and let us help you get the most of your stay. Check out our guided trail rides and Karen's Cafe menu. There's something for everyone at Who's All. There's a campground store on site that has everything you need for your trip. Whether you're in need of gear, grub, or something else, chances are they've got it. And their campground has RV sites and primitive sites for all your camping needs. If you like the adventures of camping with a cozy bed at night, we have a variety of different lodging units to choose from. But Who's All Valley, there's always something going on out there. Check them out on Facebook, or if you want to make a reservation, simply call 1-800-367-4516. Captain Brian Wilson runs one of the tightest boat fishing operations in the business. Stainwater Boat Fishing operates out of Jerome, Missouri, and the beautiful Missouri Ozarks. They cover most Ozark streams and lakes. You haven't lived until you've searched Ozark waters during the night with Stainwater Boat Fishing while looking for giant gar, carp, and buffalo. Captain Wilson also runs a second boat on Taney Como Lake. Call today to book a trip with Stainwater Boat Fishing at 573 263 8016. Again, that's 573 263 8016. Be sure and shoot straight. The Conservation Federation of Missouri is the voice of the Missouri Outdoors. Here's Executive Director Tyler Schwartz. Hi, this is Nick Darling with the Conservation Federation of Missouri. Our mission at CFM is to ensure conservation of Missouri's wildlife and natural resources and preservation of our state's rich outdoor heritage through advocacy, education, and partnerships. Part of our education mission involves our Conservation Leadership Corps, a youth education program for students in college and high school. Our CLC is a great opportunity for students passionate about the outdoors to become more involved in the management of Missouri's natural resources. Deadline to apply will close at the end of April, so don't wait to get your application in. You can visit confedmo.org slash CLC to apply for our program, or you can also email me at ndarling at confedmo.org to learn more information about the program. It's time for Conservation Notes with Missouri Department of Conservation Deputy Director Aaron Jeffries. Hi, this is Aaron Jeffries with the Missouri Department of Conservation. I wanted to talk to you today a little bit about conservation areas here around the state. How many of you all knew that you had 1,000 conservation areas for you to explore, to hunt, to bike ride, to camp and, and enjoy? 300 boat accesses, 70 public shooting ranges, 15 nature centers, and hundreds and hundreds of miles of biking and hiking and horseback trails here in the state would encourage you to go online, download the Mo Outdoors app that will provide you access, or go to the department's webpage, mdc.mo.gov, 
and look up for a conservation area close to you so you can get out and enjoy the great outdoors. Steve Stoltz is a world-class turkey hunter. Here's this week's turkey hunting tip. Hi, I'm Steve Stoltz with Woodhaven Custom Calls, Matteo Camouflage, and Drury Outdoors. My turkey tip for the week this week is adjust to changes in the breeding cycle. Um, so many hunters, get you kind of get marred into the same routine. Uh, hunt a turkey from the roost, uh, try and get one roosted. Well, that all helps. But sometimes you have to change your tactics depending on what the breeding cycle is. For instance, early season, the woods are wide open. Turkeys aren't quite with the hens yet. Uh, they're, they're still established and dominant. You may want to, to use tactics such as using a, a gobbler decoy in your strategy, such as using gobbler sound uh, to, to invite him over to, to maybe want to establish dominance with you uh, instead of just hen sounds. Uh, the other thing you want to do early in the season, of course, is pay attention to how close you get to them on the roost. It's wide open, and you're going to be you're going to have to adjust that uh, distance between you and where you set up because it's wide open. Later on in the spring, they start getting henned up. You've got to adjust your hunting tactics to a henned up gobbler. They're not going to gobble as much, so you have to be better at getting and locate getting them located and location sounds such as crow calling, owl hooting, and actually using incorporating an aluminum call, which is what I do, aluminum friction call, to get them located, which is puts that higher pitch out there. And then you have later in the season where it gets heavier foliage and they're harder to hear, and they're actually closer than you think they are because there's more foliage. Um, there's all kinds of different tactics that you, you'll have to change your hunting tactics to become more successful as the season changes throughout the spring. That's my turkey tip for the week. I'm Steve Stoltz. Welcome back to Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast here with Bill Cooper and Hunter Heinemann. Hunter, man, that was a great segment in the uh, first part of the show. Man, your friend Brennicky. Yeah, that was that was good. Uh, it's pretty cool to see someone under the age of 30 be able to, to go make that trip and and have success at hunting. And he's <laughs> he's pretty <laughs> successful at all kinds of hunting. He's a really good Look really at shot. He practices a lot to uh, do that, though. So. I, uh, that makes all the difference in in the world. And I think there would be a tremendous amount of preparation getting ready to go to Africa. You know, gosh, I'd be biting my fingernails off. I'd be staying up all night, every night, going over the details, yep. the pa- packing list. You know, make sure you got the uh, right rifles and ammunition. And and boy, it would just be an ex- anticipation would be out of this world for that trip. You know, say they say the experts say that any outdoor trip that you make uh particularly away from home anticipation is one of the grandest part of the trip yeah on the ones that i've been to it's <laughs> you're just kind of sitting there getting excited and ready to take off and go and then you get there and it's kind of like we said it's kind of a unreal thing and stuff happens real quick so you better put the practice in especially when you 
got all that time and money and the packing and, and the flight and all that kind of stuff. So well, might well, as well come well, back with some animals. <laughs> yeah, you bet. That, that, that kind of puts the pressure on you personally, you know, because, hey, uh, and I've had situations where I went, to, went on trips and didn't exactly prepare in the best, and then a situation comes up for a shot, you know, and you don't make it. Boy, you're really down on yourself then. But you learn serious lessons when that happens. Yeah, yeah that's no joke. <laughs> Well, man, there's lots of great things going on in the out, outdoors. Uh, man, had a cold spell here. My grandson, Ronnie Cooper Austin, came over from St. Charles, Missouri, spent a few days. He was on spring break, and boy, it wasn't anything like spring. I mean, we got down in, in the single digits, wind chills below zero, and we actually had plans to go glamping. Merrimack Spring Park has two new glamping units, and they wanted me to come out with some kids and, you know, do the experience and, and then uh, produce some material about it. And, boy, everybody was excited, but mom started groaning a little bit. You're going to take my kid out in nine-degree <laughs> weather and camp out in a tent, you know. And so, go fishing in the river. <laughs> yeah, break ice. Uh, so we, we kind of had to postpone that one. But Ronnie was here, and we just kind of packed a truck and headed south. Wasn't sure where we were going to go, uh, but we wound up heading towards Montauk State Park. He had uh, never fished there, and I want to teach him a little bit about fly fishing. And now we're really on the wing. You talk about preparation; we had none for this trip. <laughs> <laughs> Sometimes those can be the best ones, though. Yeah, you're actually you're right, man. Uh, Ronnie and I have done a lot of impromptu trips, but. Uh, I, well, we'll we will attempt to get a room at uh, Montauk Lodge, you know. So I went in. I, I would have better get, you know, that is not going to happen. That's kind of the attitude I went in with. But lo and behold, they had a room. There you go. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it was rather expensive, but we're tickle pink. We're going to get stay right in the park and uh, get up and go trout fishing. Maybe for thirty minutes, freeze out, run to the room, warm up. <laughs> you know, one of those things. Dash well, in and out. Diane uh, was telling me that you guys go this time of year every year no matter what and i i had called her about your guy's house and she just said well um they're fishing and i'm like fishing it's it's raining <laughs> <laughs> yeah yeah we both got it again you know preparation i keep rain jackets in the coat uh in the uh truck and uh we took rain jackets, but no rain pants. So, and Ronnie was in shorts too. You know, I can't get him <laughs> sometimes to put proper clothing on. But we yeah. were both uh, quite wet from the waist down. But back to Montauk, we got a room. Take my electronic key. Worked first time. Open the door, and there's a 20 year old young lady standing in the room. Oh. <laughs> scared her to death. You know, I, I scared both of us. You know, I kind of jumped backwards from the door. Oh my gosh! You know, I said, they just rented us this room. And she said, well, sorry, man, but uh, we stayed here last night, and we're staying again tonight. So I had to go back to the front desk. No more rooms. So uh -oh. we're back out on the street again. Uh -oh. so, so we took off driving. We went to Big Rock Candy Mountain on the current uh, river there, uh, across the river from Cedar Grove. Had a fabulous lunch, man. These people are doing great, great things there. And uh, uh, got some good information from them, and uh, I've got to be back down there in May to induct Mr. Mark Van Patten at the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame. So looking forward to that event. But Ronnie and I wandered around the countryside wondering what we're going to do, you know, and I happened to think of an old park ranger friend of mine, Mary Ficker, who did a career down on Current River. Her and her husband, Jack, wonderful people, have a very remote cabin. Uh, it's between uh, Jadwin and Acres Ferry, mm -hmm. pretty close to the river. So 
I found a phone number for them, called them. Lo and behold, they said, well, we'll have to go sweep the wash valley cabin. We usually don't rent it in the wintertime. <laughs> right. But we spent a couple of days there and just had a fabulous time. I had to tell Ronnie all kinds of bear stories. You know, <laughs> he, he wasn't buying it. There's not bears around here, but... Jack <laughs> Jack really helped out because he shows up, you know, and I mentioned bears. So he starts showing us bears getting in his dumpster right close to their house, you know. <laughs> uh. But what what fun. But, uh, Hunter, I had uh, something interesting happen just uh, recently. Uh, like I don't have enough to do, I volunteered uh, for an outfit called Real Recovery. That's R-E-E-L. And uh, Real Recovery is a national nonprofit organization that conducts free fly fishing retreats for men who are living with all forms of cancer. And I'm doing this kind of in memory of a a friend of mine that just just passed away, man, you know, a couple weeks ago from colon cancer. We worked together at uh, UPS, gosh, for 25 or 30 years. Guy was a great outdoorsman. Quite a competitive bass fisherman, but uh, Rick, man, this is for you. And uh, I'm going to be actually a photographer for Real Recovery. Uh, There's an event coming up. They have them all over the country and have had some out of country. And it's just great, regardless what type of cancer a man has, he can come and enjoy the camaraderie of other people who are in a similar situation. And they actually have uh, a time period in each program where the guys can talk about their cancer if they want to there's no pressure to do that but can you imagine uh being uh in that uh, state and one of the hardest things for somebody to do is take that first step right yeah i I couldn't i couldn't imagine but it, it seems like a pretty cool um uh idea or concept or group that that came up with that to do that so I mean that's that's probably really big for those people just to get them outdoors and you know get them smiling. So oh, oh absolutely, and you hit the nail on the head because that's what they're exactly what uh, uh, the program's trying to accomplish to get guys in the out outdoors with people you know with similar backgrounds or problems and uh, right. give them a chance just to get away from it for a day or two. Did they uh, do anything here locally in in Missouri? Yeah, and in, in fact, uh, I think it's April twenty fourth. There's a real recovery program oh, going to be held over Westover Farms right oh, yeah. out of Steelville. Yeah. You, you know, you, you guys living the dream and held some conferences over great facilities, man. Yes, and, very uh, nice. Yeah, so they're going to put them up in those fine facilities. There's three and a half miles of trout stream there. They provide everything for these guys. I mean, waders, fly rods, flies, guides. I kind of wanted to be a guide, but... Uh, they got so much help. They didn't need guys. They needed yeah. a photographer and somebody maybe do a little PR work for them. And so yeah. I'm, I'm tickled pink. To My dad's really good friend manages that that property, and it's super nice, clean, a um, lot of fish. Oh, um, they yeah. They take care of the fish for you, too, yeah. uh, after you catch them if you want to keep some. So it's a, it's a good place if you're looking to do, like, what we do, a business uh, conference area where you can house a lot of people or uh, – just an event for the community, like real recovery. So, um, awesome what you're place. trying to do, yeah, yeah, right, right out of Steelville, Missouri, just a few miles, and I, uh, I kind of promote them as the destination in the Midwest for fancy trout fishing. 
Yeah, it is pretty cool. If you just oh, it, for it's a awesome. Spot to go hang out. Yeah, great, great people too. But real recovery. I'm really looking forward uh, to this. And uh, man, it 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 kind of chokes me up a little bit because just lost a good friend to colon cancer, and uh, I'll be thinking about him the whole time I'm out there, and hope to be able to project uh, to these participants through photography maybe a few interviews might do a podcast there uh, it's just a touchy situation you know you have to be careful uh how you handle things and uh, don't put any pressure on anybody you know some of them uh and talking to a coordinator just a couple of weeks ago he was telling me that hey we have guys that get out and fish for a little bit and then they just want to sit down and watch the stream flow by you know that's okay uh yep. So there's no pressure and just a great time to be had there. But I hope I can help. And, uh, man, it makes me thankful, you know, I'm 74 years old and still in pretty good physical shape. And, uh, of course, you're a young fellow in great physical shape. I think you just came from the gym, you know. I, did. I don't do that stuff anymore. You smell me. <laughs> I wasn't going to bring that up. But <laughs> My my heaviest weight lifting is that three pound fork, you know that I, you I, I pick up regularly. But uh, I am so grateful to be able to be in the outdoors as much as I am. And uh, folks from Hunter Heinemann and myself, Bill Cooper, we're in, we're enjoying, we're living our outdoor dreams. We encourage you to get out and do the same. Bass fishing on the Lake of the Ozarks. Look no further than Big Ed's guide service right there on Lake of the Ozarks. Big Ed Franco has been fishing on Lake of the Ozarks most of his life and has been guiding for almost two decades. I've fished with Big Ed had a great time. He's a lot of fun and certainly knows where the bass live. You can call Big Ed to make a reservation at 573-692-6710 or go to BigEdsGuideService.com. And on the flip side of his business card is Bass and Baskets. That's a bed and breakfast that he and his wife, Deb, also run right on the banks of Lake of the Ozarks. You have a beautiful place to stay, great meals, beautiful outdoor decor, and you can walk right out the front door, get on Ed's bass boat, and head out to fish. You can call for the bed and breakfast at 573-692-6737 or look them up at BassandBaskets.com. The Live in the Dream Outdoors podcast is brought to you by Live in the Dream Outdoor Properties, The Fly Rod Journals, SmokerBuilder.com, Cowtown USA, Westover Farms, Scenic Rivers Taxidermy, Stained Water Bowfishing, Scenic Rivers Guide Service and Tours, Huzzah Valley Resort, Pico Lures, Devil's Backbone Outfitters, The Fallen Outdoors, Ledco Sinkers and Lure Company, Turnbow Outdoors, J&J Charters, Kaufman Cove, Alaska, Big Ed's Guide Service, Bean Creek Game Calls, Misty Mountain Guide Service, ASO Guides and Outfitters with Ryan Walker, On the Hook TV, and Rich's Famous Burgers. Land ownership is the American dream. Land is the basis of all life. Our wise use of this most precious of resources ensures the survival and growth of free institutions and our American way of life. 
At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we value the traditions and freedoms that land provides us. Every day we seek the solace of a mountain sunrise over traffic jams and smog, the calming silence of a bubbling stream over the sirens of the city, and the quiet of the countryside over the hustle and bustle of the world. We hunt, we fish, we farm, we live off the land. It's our mission to help our clients live out their dreams on the land as we do. At Living the Dream Outdoor Properties, we believe that it's not just land, it's a lifestyle. Join us five days a week on Living the Dream Outdoor Podcast as the Living the Dream Outdoor Dream Team explores the most desired outdoor properties in the Midwest and whisks you away to incredible hunting, fishing, and outdoor recreation opportunities. Host Bill Cooper, an inductee of the National Freshwater Fishing Hall of Fame, will be joined by members of the Living the Dream Outdoors team each week as they tell tall tales, unveil tips and tactics, and rub elbows with some of the biggest names in the outdoor world. You'll also find the Living the Dream Outdoors podcast on your favorite social media platforms, including Facebook, YouTube, Instagram, and TikTok.